from a kind of court perspective, we maybe have a bit of a perfect storm next year. You know, I've heard about job offers being pulled, slower growth and negative growth. What should business be doing? you know, based on this forecast. You know, two years of, of not having a normal life has impacted people mentally. Does that mean we're getting to a point now where demand's starting to ease in the labour market? We may technically not be in a recession. Hello and welcome to the Company Watch On The Spot podcast. I'm Adam Stones, a data scientist here at Company Watch. And today I'm delighted to be joined by Peter Arnold, UK Chief Economist at EY. Welcome, Peter. Welcome, glad to be here. Thank you for coming. Um, after graduating from the London School of Economics with a first, Peter worked for over three years as an economic analyst at PwC. After a brief spell at Ofcom, the UK's communication regulator, he joined EY in 2004 as a director in their economic advisory division, focusing on economic policy, regulation and competition. He was made a partner in EY in 2017 and took the role of UK chief economist in November 2021. He joins us today to discuss the winter forecast of the EY Item Club, a leading UK economic forecasting group. The report was published on the 23rd of January, and we're recording on Friday, the 27th of January. So we've got some themes to talk about today, Peter, but I think the my overriding feeling is that all of these topics are all very interrelated, and we're just going to focus really on what's happened since the EY Item Club last published a forecast in autumn. We've obviously had a lot of events since then, mm. politically and, and economically. What's forecast to happen in the next year or so? And then also, what are the implications for business risk and, and strategy, particularly important for our, our listenership? So just to get us started, really, are we in recession? It, it's a really good question, and I think we don't really know. So... Um... When we made our forecast, I think the expectation was that we were mm -hmm. um, likely to be in recession. So a recession traditionally defined as two quarters of negative growth. Yeah. Um, if you look at how the UK economy played out over 2022, so strong Q1, weaker Q2, negative growth in Q3. And the expectation was Q4, we'd probably get negative growth as well. Yeah. But after a strong October, a bit of a rebound from um, September, which was disrupted, of course, by Her Majesty's funeral. Mm -hmm. um, actually, the data for November was a bit more positive than people expected. Yeah. So we may technically not be in a recession, actually, but I think still a, a recession, as defined, is still inevitable um, in 2023. So you, you expect even if even if there's been a sort of a blip in Q4 2022, the next two quarters will go will will be negative negative growth. Uh, yeah, I, th I think that's right. And and you know, it, to some extent, it doesn't really matter, no, right? So the no. gro growth is low. Um, the economy is stagnating and maybe shrinking. Um, driven, you know, we know we kind of know what it's driven by, right? The, the 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 impact of the war in Ukraine on energy prices, the other structural forces that have driven up inflation, um, that is squeezing household incomes. It's squeezing corporate profit margins, and and we are then expecting to see weaker consumer demand, which will mean that we'll have um, slower growth and negative growth probably over the first half of 2023. And you're expecting things to bounce back a bit towards the end of, of 2023 in the, in the second two quarters. You know, what? When? how do we ever get out of a recession? If, if everything's doom and gloom and, you know, we've seen consumer spending reduced, you know, how do we typically, how do we typically find ourselves coming out of recession? What happens? Um, you know, a business cycle has a business cycle and, and you reach a, a kind of a trough where, if you like, um, people start feeling a bit better and, and start spending a bit more and you start seeing seeing the recovery, right? The, the reductions in 
business sort of headcounts are made, the kind of cost cutting's done, and you start going back to an expansion. I think here there's probably a more obvious trend, which is we are expecting inflation to fall relatively rapidly over the course of 2023. So by the end of the year, our forecast is inflation will be at around 4%. So still relatively high. Yes, yeah. But, but not much higher of, than the target. The yeah, much higher than the target, but but still well below the, the level we've, we're currently experiencing. So inflation peaked at 11%, just over 11% in, in October. We've seen it come down to about 10.5%. We expect that to start falling over the or continue to fall over the rest of the year. Um, and we've already seen things, you know, Gas prices have come down from their highs in the summer. Oil prices have come down. The price of petrol has fallen. So we are seeing some deflation, i.e. prices falling, as well as, if you like, a slowdown in inflation. Mm -hmm. And I think as inflation falls and wages start, that kind of balance between wages and, and inflation, we might start seeing wages ahead of inflation, the confidence will return to consumers. People will start spending. And so by the back end of, of the summer, our expectation is we will start. We will see a return to growth. Yeah. And actually, you touched on ga uh, gas prices and also inflation. And I think in the report, you mentioned that looking at futures markets and so on, that, that's maybe why your report is, your forecast is a bit more optimistic than what we've seen from the OBR and the, and the Bank of England. Yeah, it's probably <laughs> quite a lot going on there. So so our forecast is more negative than where we were in the autumn. So yeah. we're now forecasting GDP will fall by about 0.7% across calendar year 2023. And then we get growth about 1.9% in 24. Back in the autumn, we thought the economy would only contract by about 0.3%. And we actually thought 2024 would be quite a strong year, 2.5%. Yeah. Um, so what's what's changed our minds? So, um, I mean, the primary driver of the weaker economy is that inflation story, although we did know that in the autumn, right? Inflation yeah. was high. And we also knew where interest rates were also going to rise and that impacts consumer spending. I think the big changes we've seen really um, since October, government has announced significant tax increases. So the corporation tax increase is going to go ahead. And back in October, it wasn't. Whatever people think about the quasi um, Quartang List Trust budget, it was expansionary. It was yes. a big yes. cut in taxes, which would have supported economic growth. Mm -hmm. um, the energy support scheme has also been diluted. So that will sort of increase or the cap will increase come April. So there's, there's less government support to the economy, which means the outlook's a little bit weaker. But also consumer behavior has been a bit different. So um, we at the old the item club has has sort of highlighted actually probably about the last year that there's a significant stock of savings that are sitting in household bank accounts that were accrued over the course of the pandemic about 200 billion of what we call excess savings and um, the expectation was that they would be tapped into yeah. and that would support consumer spending even as prices sort of ran I mean, ahead of Andy incomes. Haldane at the Bank of England used to talk about a coiled spring and I guess yeah. that's what you're talking about here. Yeah, and, and we did get some of that in 2021, right? The economy bounced very rapidly back, but we seem to be stuck at that kind of 90% 90, 90 economy, if you like. We haven't quite yeah. got back up to that normal level. Well, actually, something interesting I read in your uh, Future Consumer Index at EY was was that some of the behaviours that were learned during the pandemic, where we were sort of stuck inside, so you know, cooking for yourself, home entertainment, and so on, people have retreated a little bit back to those behaviours in the face of uncertainty in in you know the, in the economy. Yeah, and, and if you think around, if you like, the relentlessly negative media narrative we've had, um, it's not unsurprising that consumers are nervous and, and uncertain. Now we've not helped ourselves here, so we had. Um, we had this kind of political stasis through the summer. So some of the action on energy that we saw in Europe around 
you know, reducing demand around support to consumers wasn't really announced till September, October. And, and then this sort of this negativity does mean, I think, consumers are naturally cautious. So households are cautious. They look at their personal finances. And so we saw the savings ratio go back up again yeah. in the autumn. So rather than people dipping into savings to spend, they're actually saving more, yeah. which is what you normally do when, you, you're, when you're worried about yeah, financial situation. You, you are a bit more cautious. And that hasn't helped. And, and so therefore, we were more optimistic in the autumn that households would dip into those savings and use that to support. We're less optimistic now. So we've assumed a, a smaller if you like, reduction in the savings ratio, less borrowing, and that means a weaker consumer outlook and therefore weaker growth. I mean, one thing uh, that really struck me in the report was that if we look at where the economy is compared to where it was pre-pandemic in Q4 2019, we're still not back. And that and that's actually in contrast to the rest of the G7. Even Germany is slightly ahead, and they've had to completely reorient their energy supply chain. So when can we expect GDP to return to, to pre-pandemic levels? Yeah, it is striking, and um, and I do think there is a sort of a negative British exception, exceptionalism that we always think that we're kind of worst at everything. Unfortunately, this is a, is quite a stark um, statistic. Um, so we don't think we'll probably get back to pre-pandemic levels till about mid twenty twenty four. So we've got a, another recession or another year of negative growth, as we had in twenty twenty, right? Yeah, and then. Um, a kind of recovery towards the back end of 2023, hopefully some robust growth in 2024. By mid-24, we'll be back to pre-pandemic yeah. levels. And that's quite stark because we've had... Half a decade. Lost half a half decade. A decade. And, and if you think of where we would have been had we not had the pandemic, it's, yeah. it's you know, we probably won't back be on that trajectory until in the late 20s. So it's it's quite a significant impact. Yeah. Um, and I guess we need to think about what, what drives it. So, so the UK did take a bigger hit through the pandemic for yeah. a number of reasons. I think its economy and um, very service... Um, reliant, yes. um, very reliant on international travel for some of our big service industries, financial services, and, and so on. Um, and so, therefore, we took a disproportionate hit compared to, yeah. to other countries. We locked down harder than many other countries, and that I think has um, will have long ongoing effects. Yeah. Um, but the primary reason you could probably point to is the labour market. If you look at the labour market, um, employment, so the number of people in work, either employed by a company or self-employed yeah. is still below where it was in December 2019. There are fewer people in work, um, a big increase in inactivity. Yeah. And so unemployment is at record lows. We have a smaller labor yeah, force. And it's, that, I think, largely explains the difference. We 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 have shrunk. The, the size of the labor market has shrunk, and that's reflected in, in and weaker outputs. There's so many fa factors that go into that. I mm. think the pandemic has led people just to question what are they, what are they doing, and some people... Some people who are maybe closer to retirement age have just decided to retire and, and perhaps even retire and do something else, but leave their leave their jobs. You have people at the other end who, uh, you know, actually are going back to university and things. You know, taking advantage, if you like, of this of this situation to go and reskill. And of course, hopefully, they'll go back into the labour market. This is something that you pointed out in your in your report. I mean, I'm glad we've moved on to the labour market. Anecdotally, you know, I've heard about job offers being pulled. We all know about these layoff layoffs at tech companies recently, the big ones at least. Um, so, does that mean we're getting to a point now where demand's starting to ease in the labour market compared to what we've been hearing in since twenty twenty one, really, back end of twenty twenty? Um, yes, there are some signs that the incredibly tight labour market is beginning to cool. So, in the summer, so we go back to say summer twenty twenty two. 
there was a record 1.3 million job vacancies in the UK economy, which is incredible, was, isn't it? Yeah, which was equal to the number of people who are unemployed. So in theory, everyone who wanted a job, no, yeah. labour market doesn't of work course, that way no, because no, it's no, kind no. of ins and outs. Yeah, friction um, isn't there. Yeah, and we've seen actually the, the number of vacancies come down. It's now just over a million. So yeah, there has been still some, very high. Still is still incredibly yeah. high. And so this is that there is still structural shortages of people in certain sectors. And, and as you say, for a number of reasons, some of it is around students, people staying in education longer. Some of this, this sort of notion of I reassessed my life yes, and decided yeah. to do something different. It's called I'm, the great resignation, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm going to go and become a carpenter rather than working in an office, you know, yeah, like that type yeah. of thing. And, and there is some of that. Um, I, I think the, probably the most material one now, though, is the number of people on long-term sick. Yeah. And so that is what's currently driving inactivity. And I think, sadly, some of that is pandemic-related yes. on mental health. So people who... You know, two years of, of not having a normal life has impacted people mentally. Yeah, yeah. And also, you know, the, the challenges around getting treatment for what would have been relatively mild conditions that are now much worse. You know, that unfortunately, I think, is also impacting long term sick. So that is really creating this this tightness in the labour market, particularly in things like retail, hospitality and leisure, mm -hmm. social care, the health system. That's where we're seeing these structural shortages. I mean, you mentioned before. I talked a bit about those layoffs a moment mm. ago, but they're in tech companies, aren't they? They're not in restaurants and bars and, and other areas of the economy. So is there sort of a, um, you know, is this very sector dependent? I th it, it is, yeah. And if you look at the, the tech redundancies in particular, you know, tech had a really good two years through the pandemic. You know, yeah. this big shift to online working, to hybrid working, to the use of technology to replace the physical interaction. Entertainment as well. Entertainment, yeah. So all of the yeah, home entertainment, we all got our multiple subscriptions to, yeah, to kind of US tech companies. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and what we've seen then is is actually just a calling down, a return to more normal behavior, more normal yeah. trajectory. So tech is still a growth sector, but the kind of the 20% plus growth in revenues they had for two years, those are gone and they're going to be back down to kind of normal trajectory. Yeah. They've therefore hired heavily through that boom period. And as demand begins to fall, um, they probably found they've overhired. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I'd say is you made the point about the great resignation. We had a big uptick in churn. So yeah. people, you know, Companies were sort of losing 20, 30% of their staff wow, a year. Wow, that's incredible. Those yeah. rates have come down. So you're not getting that natural attrition. Yeah. Yeah. You've hired, and so they, they have overhired, and therefore some of these redundancies are inevitable. They still probably have higher levels of employment than they did pre-pandemic. So we shouldn't overplay that. That's a really good point, actually, about, about people just not leaving. You know, this this churn, as you say, with, with the psychological factors, just diminishing and therefore leading to redundancies where previously it, there might just have been people who left the business and weren't weren't replaced yes you yeah. know um i think that's something you pointed out actually was an it was in the report a decrease in vacancies rather than a decrease in in headcounts yeah so if you stop hiring yeah um and you're still getting you know natural churn people mm. carry on leaving then then gradually you know that that will call the labor market without you having to go and do some mass redundancies. And we're not expecting um, we are going to see significant redundancy programs like, say, you know, like we saw perhaps post-global financial crisis. So our forecast is unemployment from current levels of about 3.7%, mm -hmm. I think it is it's now. It's incredibly low. It is incredibly low, yeah. you know, lowest it's been for 40 odd years. We think it will get to about 5%. So it's maybe a kind of a one, one and a half percent increase in unemployment. Mm -hmm. um, and if you compare that to what we saw in the global financial crisis where unemployment got up to about 8%, you know, back in the early 90s when unemployment was over 10%, we're unlikely to see that kind of mass unemployment phenomenon. That that means the housing market's probably likely to hold up then in that case. Yes. So we, when we look at housing, 
one of the, the biggest driver, the most important driver of, of, of sort of home def- or default on mortgages and, and, yeah. and sales, forced sales of homes is, un- is the unemployment rate. So if unemployment stays, or at the end, the labor market stays relatively robust, even if we do see a bit of a cooling and some ticking up in unemployment, mm-hmm. then we aren't likely to see that crash. sort of crash in the, in the housing market. Um, so, you know, we, we think prices will correct. So maybe prices will fall 10% over yeah. the next 12 to 18 months. Um, even that is a correction because they went up 20%, you know, off during the during pandemic. During the pandemic, years. yeah. Um, maybe in real terms because inflation's so high, there's a there's a, a real <laughs> yeah. bigger impact in real terms. Quite, yeah. Even like the relative yeah. price of housing will come yeah. down and, and maybe that's a good thing. Um, but we aren't expecting to see sort of forced, forced sales and a significant crisis in, in housing. And the other thing I'd reflect on is that... Um, the nature of the housing market's changed quite a lot over the last 10 years. So mortgage companies have been more prudent in their lending. Yeah. Um, I think that was just the lesson learned. Yeah, very much. They did did learn that lesson, right? Um, More people are on fixed deals rather than variable deals. So the kind of impact of this big increase in interest rates is diluted to to some extent. Um, And also household people who own the home with a mortgage tend to be wealthier anyway. Yeah. So they tend to have those savings to protect themselves. I think where there is a risk is probably around buy-to-let landlords, maybe. If, if you're sort of leveraged yourself up, you own a smaller landlords, you own multiple properties, yes. Yes. Um, in big, in, big increase in interest rates, mm. they're going to be struggling. Lots of um, regulatory changes coming in, so the need to kind of get your houses up to... Yeah, is, so, that, is that likely to feed into rents that... Well, yeah, so this, this I think this is the probably the bit that we've missed in the housing market. So if you think that landlords are going to have to invest heavily yeah. to insulate their homes to get them up to certain energy standards, the cost of owning it has gone up because most of these are on interest-only deals. Interest rates have risen. They will try and pass that through into rents, and if they can't, they're going to. But that does have an impact. I mean, that that's also part of the increase in the cost of living, isn't it? Yes, and also, yeah. also more difficult for for people to buy homes first time buyers as well which you know can have an impact then on the on you know if you can't save a deposit because your rent is so high then that's going to have a that will have yeah. some impact on the on the other housing market yeah and and we know again if we come back to the kind of the business angle we know the housing how people seem well in the uk we're kind of known as being a bit obsessed with housing but mm, the housing quite. market is a big portion of of households wealth mm-hmm. so if your property if your property is you know you feel like the value of your property is going up you feel relatively wealthy you're more yeah. comfortable about spending so if, if, from the kind of corporate perspective we maybe have a bit of a perfect storm next mm-hmm. year so we think consumer spending will fall by about 1.4 percent mm-hmm. and so more than the economy um, and that means that you know households will cut their you know, will we'll sort of rein in their spending. So I think yeah. it feels like people had the first Christmas they've had for two years have probably spent quite well. Well, that's true. That's but, a really good point. It looks actually. like retailers yeah. have done all right over Christmas. Yeah. World Cup as well. Of yeah, course. the World Cup helped. Yeah. But the worry, I think, is the first half of this year will be really difficult. So households across the board, reining in spending, you know, down trading from kind of branded goods to own brand yeah. labels. Yeah. Um, and particularly in the lower end of the kind of income spectrum, if you like, we really would expect to see some significant reductions in consumer spending. Mm-hmm. Mostly in what we call discretionary goods, so kind of consumer electronics, household purchases, stuff yeah. you don't need to buy every year. No, That's no, where no. we'll see the bigger hit. Oh, I could keep my laptop for another year. That sort yeah, of yeah, exactly. Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And then, and then maybe you know the one I think is quite interesting is how behaviour changes. So um, usually, or perhaps normally, in a recession, we see people cut back on things like going out, you know, going to sports yeah. events, going to concerts. I wonder if that will hold out a little bit a little bit stronger because of the last two years so you know i will prioritize my you know football match or my concert over you know another night in 
because I actually just want to enjoy myself. Yeah, I want to go out <laughs> and, and experience stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, that 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 sort of reminds me of it. It's the opposite, actually. But one of my colleagues of the day was talking about frugal fe- February. So you know, you have dry January, oh, right, and some right. trend of frugal February, yeah. which might might upset that a little bit in some well, places. We, we, but it's we, probably we, not likely to have a big impact. We do seem obsessed with sort of punishing ourselves in the winter. I, I, I mean, I, I, like, I find January and February a really difficult part of the okay, year. Yeah. I'm not sure why I would try and make them worse by not drinking and, and reining in my spending. But So know. on inflation, though, I mean, so you forecast inflation to be 7% for the year in 2023. That's yeah. that. What was it in 2022? Sort of near, similar, actually. Yeah. yeah probably oh, a bit higher. Higher yeah. than that. But there's, yeah. there's this base effect, isn't there, that's dropping out all of the time. And I guess that's the reason, one of the main reasons that's actually driving that factors that's yeah. driving that figure down. You're saying towards the end of the year, you might expect year-on-year year inflation to be as low as 4%. Yeah, so the forecast is average around 7% over 23, but down to about 4% by the end of the year. And and we think there is a risk it will undershoot the 2% target by sort of mid-2024. Oh, really? Yeah. So what does that mean from the sort of policy perspective with the Bank of England? Obviously, we've seen... November there was a rise of seventy five basis points, and in December fifty. You know, do you think we'll see another another rise, or do you think that will be it? Our base forecast is it will be fifty basis points in, in the next okay. Bank of England meeting, which I think is in February. So and I do think, you think that would be the peak then? At that, that yeah, point? yeah. yeah. I, and then then by the end of, I say next year, we're in this year. By the end of twenty twenty three, we may even see a, a, some reductions in. Well, I think that'd be a big relief to a lot of people who are on maybe longer term fixed rate mortgages yeah. that maybe have gone through this period, and, and there might be some sort of um, light on the light at the end of the tunnel on interest rates, and they might have been able to ride out this. Uh, Yes, this, this peak. Yeah, and also you think the way that mortgage rates are set, they are based on market expectations of, and so can you refinance it? So I think we're beginning to see market expectations start coming down, and that means in the autumn when you're looking at fixed deals that were costing say six percent, we're now getting fixed deals that are getting closer to the sort of the base rate with a margin. There'd always be a margin, so we're getting some calming okay, down good. in mortgage market. So if you're looking to remor or you're coming up to remortgage. In the next few months, it's a better place than where we were in, in the autumn for that. Although still, you're going to face a bit of a rate shock. So we've talked a bit about consumers. And one thing that we like to talk about on the podcast is, is business investment. Mm. So what's the current state of play for business investment at the end of 2022? So business, I mean, business investment is, has been incredibly weak in the in the UK. We've not seen a bounce back. So it's still about 8% below where it was pre-pandemic. Okay. Um, and... Yes, yeah, so I think that's really challenging. I mean, you can you can say, well, you know, businesses are protecting cash, and and a number of them suffered during the pandemic, but that's not necessarily the case. I think um, if you look in in Europe and the US, we've seen a much more um, sharper rebound in, in business investment. So there does seem to be something challenging in in the UK. I think uncertainty clearly on consumer demand won't have helped. You know, there will be like element if I'm not sure how the economy is going to play out, then maybe I won't invest. So that uncertainty doesn't help. I think the political situation hasn't helped. So that kind of who's the government, what they're going to do on taxes, I'm not going to make an investment until I have certainty. And I think yeah. my, my concern is that could last for a couple of years now until the next election. And then I don't think Brexit's helped either. I think, you know, that does create, does does represent frictions and so on. But I think fun, fundamentally, it's probably been the weaker economic outlook, or at least the the perspective or the perception that there's going to be a weaker economic outlook that's that's meant the business investment has been weak. We were talking a bit earlier on about how at one point business investment there was a sort of political energy around that. I mean mm. cutting corporation tax and so on. And and we know 
historically a lot of businesses are started in recessions you know people lose their jobs and they go it alone and so on do you think there's been a do you think there's do you think the environment is 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 ripe at the moment for that kind of entrepreneurial spirit or do you think people are holding are holding back it's particularly i guess higher interest rates it's harder to well, access the finances yeah to start so i mean we business. haven't really talked about the impact of interest rates and inflation on, on corporates and perhaps that's something to start there because i think we're you know we, we've got a, a host of of managers and leadership in in you know companies that have not experienced a high inflation high interest rate environment so we, we've been not been in this environment since for 15 plus years so anyone who's sort of leading a company would have been very junior at that yeah. point of time yeah. probably you know so so we haven't got that institutional memory and so if you think of those challenges so you've got rising cost pressures so yeah. you know prices of your inputs your labor your energy your accommodation all of that has gone up so you've got to manage the cost side Think about your pricing strategy. CapEx is the one thing that you can easily cut. cut right? yeah. so, just, um, just to get some cash, keep exactly. some cash in the business in yeah. the short term. And then when you yeah. overlay then the, the rapid rise in the cost of debt. Yeah. So if you're going to, you know, you would put a bit of CapEx in, but you'll borrow as well to, to sort of fund it. That's gone up significantly. So that, that increase in the cost of debt is also going to play into that, yeah. in that decision. Yeah. It's also interesting, isn't it? I've often thought about this. So, we know we've seen this sometimes described as the productivity puzzle mm. over the last 15 years, 10, 15 years. And sometimes I think, you know, can interest rates be too cheap in a sense that just having being able to access cash quite easily means that businesses aren't necessarily forced to find efficiencies and and, and find, you know, productivity gains in quite the same way. I, I don't know if you Yeah, and, and there's there's a there's a concept called the sort of zombie company. Yeah. Right? Um and what, what does that mean? It means there's businesses that have been around that in normal circumstances. So if rates had been at kind of long run averages of four or five percent, they wouldn't have been able to refinance and they would have gone bust. And while that's not great, obviously, for the owners and the employees, it, what it does do is it frees up resources to go to more productive parts of the economy. So you shake out, if you like, the kind of the, the companies that need to go under and you reallocate yeah. that, that financing and that could drive additional pro productivity. So what we've seen um, and I know you speak to my colleague Kirstein about this on, on the kind of profit warnings work we do. Yeah. What you've seen around things like business liquidations, they've been on a long-term downward trend for the last 10 years. A number of businesses that have failed mm -hmm. or the rate of failure has fallen. And it, a lot of that is driven by the access to cheap debt. You're able yeah. to refinance. We're beginning to see an uptick. So the interest, the increase in interest rates should mean we start, as we transition through that, we should see an in, we are likely to see an increase in business failure. Now, short term, that's not great because that means unemployment will rise. Mm -hmm. But if that starts meaning that resources are allocated to more productive areas, yeah. you know, that you consider I, I can I'm looking for a higher return because I need to fund this higher interest rate, we might start seeing, you know, more investment into high productivity areas and, and therefore, you know, almost hopefully a kind of return to growth. So I don't think it's a coincidence that we've had low productivity with low interest rates. Yeah. And it's not just the UK, it's a, it's a global story. Okay, as well. thank you very much for that. I think just to finish with then, maybe just let's just think a little bit about this is a forecast. Forecasts, you know, they're always wrong, but they're often very, very useful. And, um, you know, just on that note, I think two things I'd like to sort of ask about is one, where do you see the main risks being for this forecast? You know, what could change in the, in the short term that would that would sort of lead to a, a large reevaluation? And then secondly, what should business be doing, you know, based on this forecast? You know, if the forecast is useful, the forecast is useful to help people plan and, and strategize and so on. Yeah. So um, 
And as you highlighted, every, every forecast is pretty much wrong. Right? We we always know that. I mean, it's not. Um, it's not. You're not trying to predict exactly what's going on. No, right? we're, we're trying to talk about the direction of travel. Yes, exactly. So, um, I, but I would say, and I think this does sound probably a bit a bit of a mouthful. That I don't think there's any high probability base case forecast, if you like, at the moment. So while we have a forecast and it's a sort of a central base yeah. case projection, there's a fair amount of risk, um, largely to the downside, and those downside risks. Now, further escalation in, in the war between um, Russia and Ukraine, um, you know, at a minimum, that will impact energy prices. We might see another spike in energy prices and it, and it could lead to more, you know, more sort of serious consequences. Yeah. That, that's a big risk. I think, um, you know, ha- have global central banks over tightened rates? So they've been too aggressive on interest rates. So given the rapid tightening. So I think in the UK, rates have gone up from close to zero to to probably to four percent in the in the us we've seen very similar trajectory europe's a little bit further behind but across the world central banks have been tightening if that leads to a more significant slowdown particularly in the us if we don't get this soft landing in the us we get a more severe recession in the us then i think that the outlook for the global economy is is pretty poor and the other one i would say to is china china being i think a bit of the great unknown for this year so they've pivoted very quickly away from zero covid Mm -hmm reopening the hope being that might play out by the end of q1 and so we could then see china re-emerging and so all that sort of that coiled spring yeah. that china hasn't experienced yet we may benefit from that at the global economy the back end of the year but that will also have some downsides because it can't, it might mean that commodity prices go up again energy prices go up again supply chain issues start you know because if china starts sucking in yeah. activity you might see those sort of costs going up cost of shipping going up again so that could that could be detrimental. It's interesting, isn't it? Over the last few years, there just seems to have been so many twists and turns, mm. reactions, overreactions, underreactions, you know, um, correcting for things that have gone wrong, but overcorrecting. There's been such a lot of that, hasn't there? We don't seem to have been in a stable environment now for quite for quite some time. No, no, that's right. And I think that that kind of, you know, your question around what should businesses yeah. do? Was, well, the obvious one is is scenario plan and stress test. So think about what are plausible scenarios and there, there may be some upsides as well as downsides and what might they mean for your business? And then I think it's taking that and saying, okay, what are the kind of the, the actions I should definitely do, the kind of the no regret actions, you know, whether it's looking at your cost base, can you sort of fix your energy prices? Are there the sort of inefficiencies you can get out of the business? And then on the kind of demand side, thinking around, Right. Who who is my customer? What are the pressures they're going to be facing? You know, what's my ability to push on price? Can I pass through some of those cost increases? Um, where actually do I need to probably take a bit of a margin hit to maintain share? You know, so I think that that kind of thinking of the of the plausible scenarios and thinking right, what are the actions I can take? Um, and you take them now, even if the downsides. Don't occur. So you know, thinking about resilience in your supply chain. Yeah, I think that's a really important one, right? Is looking very carefully at the companies that are in your supply mm-hmm. chain and and their prospects actually on yes. the back of yeah, forecasts yeah. like this one. And sort of, I told you before, we have a tool uh, on the Company Watch platform mm-hmm. actually, Forecast View, that enables you to to do that to basically say, okay, what would be the impact? You know, just looking at the previous year's accounts, what would be the impact on this year's accounts if sales fall, for instance? And and you can and then you can pass that through all of our scoring our yeah. scores you know so no, I mean, that's exactly the type of type of analysis we think businesses should be looking at and then thinking okay what are the implications of that what should i do now yeah um so that i think no, those are the that's if you like the sort of the, the advice um that we should give and and you know i mean on the other hand if we, we we've got to end on a sort of slightly lighter note you know so um 
the path of energy prices particularly is, is looking not healthy but looking better, better yeah. so with inflation falling over the course of the year we may find come the better weather in the spring consumers have said well i got through that i'm feeling a little bit happier you know I, i'm looking forward to the summer and we may find a sort of a slightly more resilient consumer outlook there was one thing there was a, there was in the highlights right at the beginning the most widely anticipated recession in living memory. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I remember thinking before the winter, this winter is going to be brutal. Mm. And as it happens so far, we've had a few cold snaps, but it hasn't really, there hasn't been a sustained cold snap. No. And maybe that just means when we get into spring, people will sort of find that they have a bit more money than they'd, than they'd budgeted for. Yeah. I mean, I touched on this a little bit, but you know, the kind of, the relentless negative press in the autumn, you know, whether it's about political crises around energy costs, that is naturally going to have an impact on on yeah. households, on and on businesses. You know, business sentiment and business sort of um, business sort of confidence. Now, if actually some of that disaster doesn't materialise, and so you sort of emerge in in you know, retailers haven't traded that badly over Christmas mm. when perhaps we thought they might do. Um, you know, energy costs are going down. So if you're an energy intensive industry and you're worried about this sort of at the end of April when government support's withdrawn, if perhaps energy prices have fallen so much that it doesn't impact you so much by then, there may be some upsides that mean confidence and sentiment improves and that should then support maybe a better economic outcome. We're beginning to see that narrative a little bit in, in the press, particularly around sort of the outlook for the US, outlook for Europe. For Europe. So, you know, there, there is an upside scenario. Here. And of course, that would be so typical because that would be an overcorrection. Yes. You know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, followed, yeah. By a, followed by, you know, a more stable situation. So um, thank you so much for coming. I think that's been a really insightful overview of what's going on and what's been forecast to go on in the, in the UK economy. We've covered a lot of things. We've talked about output. We've talked about labour, inflation and consumer behaviour, and also at the end there, business investment. So thank you so much, Peter, for coming on today. And uh, thank you also to our, our listeners at home for listening. No problem. It's great to be here. 